0: This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking all things Garmin with Rehan Nana. Welcome back to the show for episode number 121. Project Upland podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt. Creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription today. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at EukanubaSportingDog.com. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders, CZ USA has a shotgun for you. They've got pumps. They've got semi-autos. Head over to cz-usa.com to check out all their shotguns. And by Gumleaf USA, high quality, handcrafted premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. The temps have dropped and I have switched over to my Gumleaf Viking neoprenes, keeping my feet warm, dry, and comfortable as I continue to hit the grouse woods during my favorite time of the year. I've always got my Gumleafs on. Check them out at gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% on your next pair of boots. And by Dogtra.com and by Dogtra Collars. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Learn more about all of Dogtra's products at Dogtra.com. And by ESP, electronic shooters protection, custom-molded, custom-fit shooting protection that allows you to hear what you want to hear and need to hear while blocking out everything you don't. Learn more about them at ESPamerica.com. And by Trinity Kennels, home of the Epignol Breton, French Brittany Spaniels from Champion Bloodlines, field-tested, and family-approved for over 30 years. you want to learn more about Trinity Kennels, check out Project Upland Podcast episode number 88 with Jeff and Josh Ryder, or visit trinitykennels.org. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece roto-mold design, frame steel door everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip check out the newly designed website at dakota283.com all right this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is james c james sent me an email let me know he bagged his first rough grouse in north carolina no less congrats to james appreciated the email pictures and story and the feedback on the podcast and how it helped him in bagging his first rough grouse. Project Upland t-shirt headed James' way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app. We appreciate that. Share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.com dot larson at northwoodscollective.com all right let's transition into our conversation today we're talking all things garmin which for me has a lot to do with my upland hunting adventures from my garmin phoenix watch to my alpha collar system the garmin connect app i'm always fiddling with this stuff but most importantly they are adding value to not only while i'm hunting but after the hunt in my reflection recapping and planning and strategizing for my next hunt Garmin is a part of my process, and I appreciate that very much. They recently launched the Alpha 200i, brand new, top-of-the-line GPS collar. I've seen one up close and personal. I don't own one yet. I'm still weighing my options as far as upgrading my old alpha 100 unit which has been with me for about seven years now love that unit but i was very excited to talk to our guest today to learn more about the 200i what it has to offer in addition to everything else garmin and upland hunting with that said let's welcome into the conversation and onto the project upland podcast from garmin rehan nana
1: I get it is what I'm saying. Like I, that <laughs> piece of mind is something I, I preach all the time. It's just, you know, the insurance policy of GPS.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Well, yeah. I did hit the record button on you, Rehan, and we are rolling. So oh,
1: smooth. <laughs> smooth. Roll into it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Let's dive into the Project Dublin podcast. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Kind of feel like I know you because I went for a walk in the woods with you a couple weeks ago.
1: That's, uh, I'd say the exact same thing. You see names like floating around, like, you know, I've seen your name forever. Nick Larson running for project upland. That's just other. And so to be able to, you know, get out in the grouse woods and go for a hunt, that's, that's putting a face to a name in in such a capacity that really makes sense. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So yes, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Agreed, man. Well, I just introduced you, but tell us a little bit about what you do for Garmin. And mm-hmm. then we're going to jump into the conversation today.
1: Yeah, so I work at Garmin. I'm in the marketing department and PR department. I kind of wear a few different hats, but uh, I was just kind of joke if it has to do with blaze orange or camo, I kind of have something to do with it. Um, my background is is dog um, and just kind of the outdoors, and so I work with a lot of different dog groups here. Um, you know, our hunting products, our outdoor products. So, um, which if you guys haven't seen all of them, it's a huge offering. And um, yeah, I guess what I'm most proud about is we just. We just launched that 200I.
0: Yeah, Alpha 200I. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the Garmin ecosystem. As I know, that's a term that that you like to use, based on my listening to your podcast with Ron Bain. But that is that's the right way to way to phrase it, I think, because the Garmin ecosystem has kind of like weaved its way into my upland hunting pursuits and in a really cool way. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, Rayhan, I want to get a little background on yourself because despite the fact that we've got some mutual friends and it's kind of this small world upland feeling, I, I don't know a whole lot about your background and your story. So I'm really curious where did the outdoors and specifically upland hunting enter your life? How did that come to be?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you're right. I love, you know, the world is small and it continues to get smaller and especially yeah. in the upland world. I can't believe that you knew Essling and Andrew and all those guys like, right. so either way, but, um, I grew up in Kansas city and, uh, I grew up hunting, you know, here in the Missouri side, at least, uh, my family's from Northwest Missouri. It's quail and occasional pheasant. Uh, my grandfather was, that's all he did was quail hunt and that just kind of got passed down. And so I, uh, always was in the outdoors, uh, always loved hunting. And then I went to school out in Colorado for, so I could fly fish. And then I ended up, yeah, I know, right? Great choice of nature, <laughs> I guess. Priorities, my friend. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you do? Good fishing out there. Um, yeah. And then I ended up working, I went up to uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and worked up at their national office for a while. And then I worked down in Jefferson City, which is the capital of Missouri, uh, for an organization that did uh, kind of hunting and fishing rights, just to make sure that Missouri is a really unique state in terms of a conservation model. Um, and so we worked uh, to... You know, protect and promote that. And then I came over to Garmin probably about three years ago. Um, and I've been here ever since. And here we are today on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, it, interestingly, you saying you go into college for fly fishing, it's kind of funny because it, it's not unusual for kids that grow up in Duluth to want to go down to like the twin cities for example for college and many many people do but for me my interest in grouse hunting at that time was such that I uh I never really thought about going to the cities for college I I stayed here and wanted to take advantage of the outdoors. so I can uh I can relate to you on that after college I was ready to give the Twin Cities a try, and I moved down there for a little bit, but now I'm back in Duluth. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I see you hightailed
1: right it right back up to <laughs> yeah. ground country. Yeah. I,
0: I, didn't, I, I always had this, like, the vision for my life was I love Duluth. I'm going to go to the Twin Cities, start my career, start working down there. I'm going to come back. I didn't know if it was going to be five years, 10 years, 20 years. I really didn't know, but five years was the number for me, and I, at some point I realized that living down there, Once hunting season would roll around, I was basically in Duluth every weekend from rough grouse opener all the way through deer season, and then it would kind of slow down. And I really just got to thinking, like, if I lived in Duluth, I would come to Minneapolis way less than I drive to Duluth living down here. And the reality is both places, I enjoy certain things about both places. I'm, I'm, I'm got Minnesota pride and I love my state, but being in one, one place or the other, you're only a couple hours away, so realizing yeah. you can kind of t- I could kind of take advantage of the things I like about Minneapolis living here, and it just seemed to make sense. but
1: so I agree with you and from from my own personal thing, like I was in I was in the outdoor and like I said the outdoor industry, and then yeah, I always knew I was going to end up back in Kansas City. It was just a question of when and yep. I think when you look at it, like one of the things about Kansas City that a lot of people don't realize from a bird hunting perspective is. It sits at the nexus of some really great bird hunting, or at sure. least you can be within, you know, a couple hours. You can be, right, think about it, Kansas. Uh, you can go Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, and then if you're into duck hunting, go over to Arkansas for, you know, flooded timber. But yep. So it's really not all that bad, but uh, Nick, I'm going to be honest with you. I've always loved – I grew up kind of in the you know the prairie and you know shrubs and stuff like that. You know, yep. The big woods up there where you got is something really special. And you know after spending some time, I think it's been like a week total in Duluth. Yeah, man, I don't know why you'd ever leave that place, especially <laughs> with. The, I mean, and I hope I'm not blowing this up for you, but I mean, it seems like you got a pretty good, pretty good, um, you know, year for birds this year.
0: Yeah. Yep. Bird numbers are good this year, and yeah, that's nothing. Nothing that I haven't really talked about. I mean, really, it comes down to. Resources. I mean, the public land resources. and yeah. Beyond just the fact that it's public, it's, it's the forestry practices and the active timber industry that make rough grouse and woodcock hunting what it is in this part of the country, whether you're talking really Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Michigan. Those things are all lending themselves into good healthy populations of birds relatively speaking and you can access that land and that's that's really the resource that we have here when you were here it was like i mean you timed it perfectly for what you were doing you had your wife here and like you wanted to get into the woods a little bit i mean the weather was just absolutely beautiful aside from the fact it was maybe a little warm like the day that you and i walked in the woods it was a little warm but talk about a comfortable nice time to be in duluth that's for sure
1: yeah that was a that was pretty awesome and i just to touch on what you were talking about with the the forest management practices that really is true and that's something i've always found really incredible about grouse hunting just in general where i actually had this conversation earlier today about one thing i always admire about grouse hunters is you don't you know it's like around in the midwest it's like you can hunt the same farm for 30 years and you know obviously you need some management practices on it to keep that lively and what it needs but Grouse hunters is you know you have to constantly be moving and constantly be checking out new places and keep yeah. going and keep going and keep going because eventually your stuff's going to age out. And to your point, most people don't know this, but one of the largest sawmills in the wor- world was actually um, in southern Missouri down in the Ozark Mountains sure. for a while, and it used to have a pretty. Was that
0: on? Was that on the Mississippi River then?
1: Uh, it would have been close to this, okay. closer to it, because that was a main channel. But
0: okay.
1: there used to be. Um, Grouse hunting here in Missouri, but kind of the the aggressive timber practices that were, you know, used to be done kind of fell out of favor, and as I'm sure you know that that kind of uh, has an effect on the grouse populations. So now I yes. do know that they're trying to bring that back, um, yep. so that's awesome. You know, any any place that you can see grouse come back. And the other thing I always think is interesting too, where. And I don't, maybe you would know the history on this, but the band, if you look right from like an Iowa, which it's like, okay, you can say there's still Hungarian partridge in Iowa into Southern Missouri, but it's interesting that there's that band of rough grouse, right? So if you go across that, uh, the Ozark mountain range into Tennessee and stuff like that, you still can get into grouse, but then it seems like you, you get North of the cities really. And that's when you really start getting into grouse again.
0: Yeah. If you look at rough grouse from just a straight up geographical range, far West coast, all the way down to basically the Southeast coast, you know, they're, they have adapted across a very wide variety of landscapes and there's some really consistent and common factors among those landscapes. A lot of them disturbance dependent, you need early successional habitat, you need a diversity of foods and you'll find grouse. And what we hear about a lot today is really when the grouse are leaving, just my proximity to organization like the rough grouse society and the, kind of the people that I talk to, like what is going away, what is happening on the landscape that we're losing these, losing these birds in certain places. And I was going to say, I, I would get out of my comfort zone real quick talking about the Missouri rough grouse, but I recall having a couple of Missouri biologists on this podcast. There were more quail researchers. It was Frank Long and mm. Kyle hedges. I think, do you know those yeah. guys?
1: I know the names that are. Okay.
0: I've, yeah. They were in a project Upland film and, we interviewed them, and I asked them a little bit about the Missouri grouse hunting, and I know, I, I know enough to know that they got some rough grouse from Wisconsin, and I actually think they traded turkeys. That's yeah, that's kind right. Of a, <laughs> funny things like, we'll trade you some turkeys for grouse, which is just—it's oh, almost comical, but legitimate. And They're doing a little
1: horse trading, but bird trading. right, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: exactly, yep. And so, Wisconsin rough grouse brought down to Missouri, and again, just drawing off like my recollection of that conversation it was the forestry was set up the habitat that they were working on I mean all the ducks were in a row really it was it sounded pretty exciting and I I had the thought at the time to get whoever was the specialist on that project on here to talk about a little bit so that's probably something I should write down and look into but
1: well it's always just it's interesting to see how that stuff unfolds right and just in terms of you know i admire all those guys i'm not a biologist by trade i used to work with a whole bunch of them and i always just admire like how passionate they are what they what they try to do what they accomplish and it's like i kind of use this example it's a mind-blowing thing where you're talking about turkeys and it's like in i think it was 1936 i think there was like 2500 wild turkey across the entire yeah yeah, yeah. across all of missouri and there was 500 white-tailed deer I think the like the last numbers I heard were like 1 million white-tailed deer and, you know, a couple hundred thousand turkey. Now, it's always one of those things that you tinker on, but it's it's really incredible to see kind of those biologists at work doing conservation and, you know, and hopefully that I really you're right, the ducks were in a row within the grouse management, so yeah. hopefully that's what it is. I got I'm going I'm going to pivot just a little bit. I, I cuz I I don't think I asked you this, but I'm going to put you on the spot right now. <laughs> just because we've been talking about grouse, are they the king bird?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, I see that happen, you know, that, that discussion, that's a classic one to pop up on Facebook and stuff, and our, our rough grouse, the king. And I have, I guess, sort of bought into that at certain times in my life. But where I'm at with it right now, Rayhan, is that it would be honestly foolish for me to say, like, such and such bird as the king like my exp- my focus in upland hunting is so narrow i hunt rough grouse more than any other bird i've dabbled in hunting sharp tails i've never killed a wild pheasant i've never killed a wild quail i've never hunted chucker. like it would be foolish for me to crown a bird a king i understand why people say that, that rough grouse is the king i think they're very very challenging to shoot in the cover and on the wing and I certainly have hold them in extremely high regard. I love rough grouse and uh, I don't really see the need to crown some bird, the King, like let's just all be on the same team. Is that just two Minnesota nice Rayon? No,
1: uh, no, no. I, that's some fancy footwork. I will tell yeah. you that. But <laughs> I do appreciate the answer on that one. Um, I do in, in, I will actually like, I'll, I'll tell you, it's like, you are really lucky. Like, yeah. um, and by no me, I mean like, uh, you know, I won't say that I'm an expert bird hunter by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been fortunate that I've gotten to do a lot of hunting and uh, you're lucky that you've got rough grouse in your backyard because they are a really incredible bird. Um, yeah. I always say that, you know, there's two things. I think what you grow up hunting a lot of times gets in your blood. Yep. And so for me, like quail kind of got in my blood and stayed there. But then grouse did too, and like I can go like for the past two years, I think I told you it was just tough grouse hunting, and I miss it. And it's just they stay in your mind; you just think about them because it's there's like I don't know. There's there every bird when you pick it up is a trophy, you know. I mean, like I always, you know, I say with quail, it's like you know, no horns, no beards, no pound or inches, just a you know drab little bird that calls the prairie its home. Like that's a trophy, you know. rough grouse is a trophy too when you when you hold it in your hand um and it is you know you remember your good you remember the good hunts on those ones and you remember the good moments you also remember getting you know smacked in the face with a branch but you Uh, know that's you know (laughs) neither here nor there i guess yeah so
0: i've talked about the last three years in a row now i've gone out west to the prairies and i've hunted sharp-tailed grouse and i've quickly just like I mean, the, my, my appreciation for sharptail grouse and their habitat is such that it's like, I think like there's probably not many forms of upland hunting that I wouldn't love and revere in a similar way. I, I don't think it's probably pretty likely that nothing will ever come close to rough grouse. Just again like the way you put it, this is where I grew up. This is, this was my first love, nine, 10, 11 years old, seeing rough grouse flush. I mean, I'll never forget that. That stuff is burned into my brain. So I don't, I don't really see anything else coming close to that in my mind, but I just have a, have an appreciation for really everything that I've been able to experience in the uplands so far. And I've got a lot left to experience.
1: Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I, so real quick, I remember the first pheasant, uh, first pheasant I saw, I'll never forget uh, not to wax poetic about this, but I,
0: well, let's hear it. <laughs>
1: well, I was, you know, in Missouri, I was hunting with my father, my grandfather, and I don't know how old I was. And he had two,
0: three generations.
1: Yeah. Two Britneys and, uh, they're locked up on a fence row and it was cubby, you know, it was quail. I was like, okay, it's going to be a cubby quail get out. And I remember there's this giant, I mean, it was just a giant rooster ducks out and goes down the fence row. And I just was dumbfounded. I was like, pot, you know, Pop, what was that? He's like, that was a rooster. <laughs> and my dad, my dad always had this famous line, like, he's like, oh, I, I think I got a piece of that bird. I'm like, no, you didn't. You never, you didn't get that. But um, <laughs> no, uh, to in, to your point on the prairie grouse too, it's like that's something special. One of more chickens than sharptail, I guess. But you know, all those prairie grouse are, you know, it's I, seeing a, you know, seeing a bird in its native habitat. I always think it's it's interesting to hunt it in its native habitat i may just be thinking about it too much but i think that there's something one special about that but then two a prairie chicken has evolved for you know a millennia to live on the prairie Mm -hmm. and to be to have that as its home court advantage and me you know what i mean like that ain't the case so you know so it's it's always (laughs) kind of it's it's a fun challenging hunt but anything is when you get down into it i guess right yeah so. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. I forgot when you mentioned earlier getting slapped in the face, you know, in the rough grouse cover, there's the more I do it, the more I love it. But I also like, I find myself in these situations where probably like just post getting smacked in the ear or the oh. lips. That's usually the worst ear or the lift with like a hazel whip or something. And like, I just more and more stopping and saying like, boy, <laughs> this is, this is not for everybody. Like you have to have some kind of a self punishment desire to, to beat yourself up a little bit, chasing these birds to do it. I mean, I could certainly see why somebody wouldn't enjoy it as much as myself.
1: Well, there's a couple different, I I also say like the highs of grouse hunting are incredibly high and the lows are even lower and they happen about two seconds before a branch (laughs) smacks you in the, in the face. That's probably a good way to put it. (laughs) I also have this other crackpot theory that, (laughs) You know, it's more so it's people who are taller don't like grouse hunting as much as people who are a little bit shorter because you're always ducking and weaving and trying to, you know, and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's the worst. It's the, you know, once you step off, you know, the trailer, you know, it's like, you may as well be in Narnia and like, you know, you think you're taking a straight line and then it's like, it's just, you follow a path of least resistance. And then it's just like, before you know it, you know, you, you're just completely turned around. Unless you on yeah. GPS, so there you go. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I was just going to ask you: Are you grow- not necessarily growing up in the woods, but you definitely spent some time in it? Are you the kind of guy that are you marking the truck every time you leave the truck?
1: Oh, or- <laughs> <laughs> I'm marking the truck before I leave the truck. You know? Okay, like, okay. It's uh, no, I you know it's like around you know growing up, it's on old you know farms and stuff like that. You you've got waypoints and markers, right? And yep. especially places you've hunted before. Yeah, but you know, like when you go off into new country or I would say the big woods, you know, you guys like, you know, I don't know if it's, you guys learn it in school or if you guys are just inherently good at it, but every Minnesotan I've never known, it's just like, can just navigate the big woods and me. I just, I can't do it. I just, I carry a GPS with me always. Yeah. Um, from that side. And you know, I'm always running a dog. So I've always got an alpha, um, with me or, you know, pro 550 50 plus or something. But yeah, I, for me, it's all of it. I always kind of joke that it's not a joke. I mean, I think it's the truth is that um, when it comes down to it, GPS is an insurance policy, really, yeah. when you think about it. And, you know, there's so many instances where that alpha, or just in general, GPS in general, has just brought me back to kind of where I need to be and safety. And the other side of it, too, is it's just the knowledge of knowing where you are, where the dog is, and where safety is really makes the hunt just that much more enjoyable. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing else I can say about it. You know, I remember the first time I, I used an alpha, it was an alpha 100. It was when I was with, I was doing the rooster road trip with pheasants forever. Okay. And I remember looking at it I was like, Oh my God, like this thing's going to change everything. Like of how we, you know, relate to our dogs, work with our dogs, train dogs, hunt with our dogs. And it did, you know, and it kind of became a ubiquitous thing kind of within the, um, you know, pointy dog world within the hound world. That's another thing, like, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, like houndsmen, I always say when people ask me like about, I say, you know, check out what, you know, houndsmen use because houndsmen, their dogs need to be what they call, I mean, at least in trials and stuff like that, deep and lonesome, right? So they're, they're trying to go far and deep and alone. And so they really have to be able to trust the unit that they're using with everything. The dogs can go miles, right? And so, you know, I'd say 99% of them choose a garment on that side. So yeah, for what that's worth.
0: Yeah. With the tools and the resources we have now, it's almost silly to not it's ingrained in me. Like I feel like I have a fair amount of confidence in the woods. Nothing like probably probably like the foresters and the old County land folks like before GPS. I mean, those, those people were good at finding their way through the woods. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably keep up with them, but fortunately we don't really need to. I, I marked the truck on my alpha I've got my phone that I can use satellite imagery to navigate, which I do a lot. And I also, I carry a compass and I know at the very least, I know which direction I need to go to hit the next road. And that's, that's enough. But having that, like you said, having the confidence and the peace of mind, especially now with you bring the dogs involved, like this is, it's really become, it's, it's top of mind for me at the moment because When I got my first bird dog in 2014, the Alpha had just come out, and I just thought, why the heck not? Like, I'm going to get one collar, one unit. I'm going to know where my dog is and love it. And so my whole bird dog journey has been with the alpha. And I know it hasn't been that way. And I actually talked about this, I think last week with some folks where I don't envy the guys and girls that had to <laughs> run their dogs without GPS. You know, now we don't have to for what I consider to be pretty reasonable prices. Like there's a lot, there's options out on the market now where you could get one of these units and you never have to worry about your dog. And now I've got this pup where I don't have six years of trust built up with her. Like I do my other dog. Right. So I'm putting this puppy out here and trusting her, to run around and stay with me, find me, and the Garmin Mini has made that a lot easier because I'm putting this thing on this dog, and this dog has just, in the last few weeks, has decided that she's going to look for birds and she's hunting and she's going to stay with me. I'm really happy with the way that she is keeping up with me and like wanting to know where I am. But there are times where she's 200 yards away from me. Which,
1: well, listeners, it seems like uh, Nick is having a little bit of technical difficulties, so I'm just gonna go ahead and continue this podcast. Uh, It's 62 degrees here in Kansas City. We're about six days out from November 1st, which is going to be quail opener. (laughs) You froze and I was narrating for everybody else, so I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's completely fine. Picked up. Well, you're gonna play. <laughs> that. you are gonna, gonna hear. You're gonna play that back and hear something goofy that I was saying. Someday. I will. Very I will. Cool.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I, I I I forgot where I miss you when we were talking about the TT15 Mini and then just kind of the confidence of the
0: being able to know where my puppy's at. Yeah,
1: and yeah, that's you know you build that trust. Like you said, you build that trust with your dog, and but puppies are a whole other thing, you know. And I was I was kind of joke where back in the day, I mean, like when you were hunting with you know old like big running whale dogs and stuff like that it was almost like leapfrog where it was like if you had five people there was always one person back like trying to find their dog somewhere you know sure and sure. it was either you know a dog was running off or the other thing is it's like if you got a broke dog it's like that dog could be you know that dog could be on point you know a couple hundred yards away from you and you just don't know um without it and you know to to kind of talk touch on all of it people ask me a lot, like and something I always think about with Garmin and technology in the outdoors and and just in, in regard to technology in the outdoors in general. And I always kind of say that there's two types of technology when you look at it. There's technology that hampers an outdoor experience, right? And so if you've got a kid that is just, you know, on his phone, on the internet and a deer blind, or just trying to kill time to get back home, that's yeah. that's hampering an outdoor experience. But when you have something like the Garmin Alpha or InReach or anything of that nature where it's keeping you safer, keeps you out there longer, it makes you a more efficient hunter, you know, it enhances that experience. That's kind of that technology that I say enhances the outdoor experience. And I think that, you know, that's something that all I, I think that all of us should use and enjoy just because, it, like I said, it enhances the experience, makes us better hunters, you know, makes us more efficient, makes us safer. Because the other thing with GPS, especially, you know, with within the pointing dog world, you've got two you, – there's finite amount of time in a day to hunt. Yep. Right? And so you're either going to spend that time hunting with your dog or hunting for your dog. Now, in, obviously, there's exceptions with that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just the – you can set your Garmin stuff for a 2.5-second update rate. And so if your dog goes on point, you will know within 2.5 seconds – instead of, you know, everything like that. Additionally, if your dog, you know, runs off, gives chase, what have you, it's like you can get immediately to that dog. And so that's, it's just an efficiency standpoint too, right? And then when you got a little pup like you have in the grouse woods, it's just that, you know, uh, I know how you feel about your dogs. You know how I feel about my dog. And there's there's nothing I wouldn't do, you know, I was joking, it's like, man, there was a the time when I had my old truck, a shotgun, and my bird dog, and that was it. And it's like, there's nothing I wouldn't do for her.
0: Yeah. I, people throw around the term peace of mind a lot. And I think that it makes sense with respect to these GPS callers. But what it translates into, I think, is, and it's like, where, really was what I was getting at is like the state of mind that the hunter can be in. Just knowing that I can look down at any time and see where that dog is. I'm in. I can stay in the hunter's focus. You know, I can be in the hunting state of mind Mm. way more than I could, whether if I was worried about this, Oh, she's out of bell range. Now I got to find my dog. Just like you said, Ray hunt. Now I'm hunting for my dog. I'm not hunting for birds at this point. And you don't have to do that with these collars, which is again, we're we're probably not breaking news here. A lot of, a lot of folks I think (laughs) are are using these collars, but still.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, if you look at kind of the inception of it, how it started, um, the progression of where it's come to is pretty yeah. astounding. I would say like, uh, again, I was actually having this conversation earlier with somebody where it's like, okay, if we were integrating the, you know, GPS into it, you've got the Astro side of things. I think it was the Astro 220, then 320, then 430. And then it, I think it went into the, uh, alpha 100. Forgive me if I'm missing some things up there, but, um, the alpha 100, And then you just start seeing like the, the information put in there and the add-ons being put in there and, you know, the increase in usability into what we have today. Now, and we'll talk about the 200i, but, you know, one thing that I admire about Garmin is always listening to customers and customer needs, right? And so when we put the Alpha 100 out there, um, that was, that was just a a game-changing product. And people used it and loved it. And there was also some people that said, man, this is a fantastic product, but it's got a little bit more than I need. You know, I want something yeah. simpler. And so in 2018, we put out the Pro 550 Plus, which it works on kind of the older tube-style form factor of, um, you know, essentially the tube-style controller of, you'd say, the, the 550 um, yeah. and others. And it incorporates just a really simple a Delta GPS um, at the bottom of it. So it's everything, you know, it's robust training, simple tr- tracking, um, in the sense where it's like at a glance, you know, where your dog is. And that's, if that's the only thing you want to no, know, that's the only thing you need. And then, yep. you know, after that you look into the, uh, 200 eye and that's where we're at today. Um, and that thing, uh, it's got a lot of horsepower. <laughs> um, it's yeah. got a lot of horsepower to it. And the other side of it is Garmin worked on it for what? Eight years to make it what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is just incredible. And I, I joke where I was writing an article where I was like, I never thought I would say, like, say goodbye to my Alpha 100. Like, I never I never thought that I would put that unit down. But with the 200i, it's like, yeah, now it's, it's time to change. It's the, you know, the carrying of the torch, you know, passing the torch to this new unit. And, you know, there's one when you look at it, it's just complete redesign. Um, yep. It looks awesome. It's got really good hand fit too. The old the alphas, you know, were a little bit more rounded. This is a little bit flatter, um, a little bit thinner uh, from that side. It's got an increased three point five inch screen, which the old alpha had a three inch screen. Um, in some, I don't know how. I mean, it looks, of, it looks I way heard you bigger. say that. It looks <laughs> it way bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a sunlight readable display. You know, Alpha's always pulled double duty, so Houndsmen at night use it and then, you know, pointing dog guys use it during the day. And the the you know, the new screen it just pops, you can see it like fifteen feet away, like, oh yeah, okay, well, there's your dog. That's um cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And then the training setup of it is uh, pretty incredible where it's quick keys. So instead of um essentially it used to be where you'd set up for each dog and then scroll and scroll and scroll. Now you can essentially um there's two additional buttons on the top right-hand side where you can kind of snap to and you set your top three buttons for what you want and you can do it on multiple screens so if you want to do dog one dog two dog three or you want to snap to all right i want to go to in reach i want a new hunt and i want to get directly to my dog you can set that up so it's completely customizable but in a really easily digestible way and really user-friendly way um i just can't stress that enough that's something that people have been really finding awesome about it is the setup of it the just User interface, user experience—you know those quick keys. Being able to set that up is is really awesome. Um, and then the other, another huge feature with it is—you know—it's called the 200i because it incorporates InReach technology. Do you have you used InReach? I never have.
0: I'm getting more familiar with it because I'm paying attention to all this stuff. But let's assume I don't know
1: anything about InReach. Tell us what it is around. Right okay, I'll, uh, from the top, uh, InReach is a is a it's a global SMS communication device. It operates on something called the Iridium satellite. So it's a different sounds super cool, doesn't it? I mean, like it it sounds really (laughs) cool. That's because it it is really cool. I, (laughs) you know, I didn't use it before I got to Garmin, and now I won't. I don't go on gravel even without one just was it
0: like was this available eight years ago i mean it must have been way more limited
1: so it was a company called delorum um that garmin okay. purchased yeah, a little while yeah purchased that and if you remember they were the mapping company um they used to have the the delorum map books and stuff like that okay so yeah, yeah they have all of that and then um garmin purchased them a few years ago and it's just an incredible product. And for hunters, it's one of those things where I say it's one of the, you know, one of the most important pieces of gear that you could possibly own. Um, this goes back to the, that technology that enhances an outdoor experience. So like I said, two way SMS communication device with that operates on a global, essentially um, satellite service. So if you're in the back country, if you're in the big woods, you don't have cell service, you'll still have the ability to reach out to people. Um, directly from an inReach device, right? So there's the inReach, many, you know, different actually handheld devices, um, but now we've incorporated it into the 200i. Now, that's awesome, you know, being able to always be in contact with the people that you need to be in contact with, but there's also the ability to trigger an SOS, right? So everything in the outdoors goes perfectly to plan until it goes horribly wrong, Yep. and having the ability to trigger an SOS, it will send out an emergency beacon to GEOS, which is a global emergency service, right? And that global emergency service will then it contracts with all the any local authority that may be, you know, the the emergency responder for that area or country, and somebody will come and get you. Whether you know what I mean? Whether it's you know sheriff in an F two fifty. Or yeah. a black hawk you something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or EMS or, or something. Um, they'll communicate with you the entire time, and you know. So they're they're
0: paying you back on your. They're paying
1: you now. back. They're keeping in contact with you. All right, helps on the way. Here's what it is. You know, etc. etc. Um, and you know, I've had people call me up out of the blue and be like, "Hey, I know you don't know me from Adam, but I want to tell you the story and reach saved my life because of this." And the thing I've learned out of all of these stories that I've heard and people have told me is that nobody, Nick, and it's like you spend enough time in the outdoors to know this, nobody wakes up in the morning thinking they're going to have an emergency in the afternoon. Yep. Does that make sense? Like, you know. you.
0: It's the way I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, always have your backup plan. And thankfully, this backup plan is integrated directly into your dog tracking unit, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got a. It also has integrated keyboard into it, and um, so you can. T- it's essentially texting directly off of this device. It's really incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is again. It's not something that we've been able to carry around in the palm of our hand for decades, but we can today, and that's really the point. I. I'm in the stage of my life where I'm 34 years old, about to be 35 here in just a little over a month. I still feel foolishly invincible, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of feeling Rehan where like, I don't think anything about walking a couple miles into a, into a grouse cover and swinging a loop all by myself, just me and my dog. And I mean, I'm talking a couple miles and I'm going to be back to the truck. Some people are hiking, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles into the back country. So I'm, I'm by no means the, the high end user, but still you're two miles into the woods. You fall and break a leg. I mean,
1: Man, well, your dogs you wanna... ain't getting you back out, exactly.
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, my little five month old, I don't know even know how much she weighs. She's not going to carry me out or drag me out.
1: But I, I would love to yeah. think that my I would love to think that my dog would be like, "Oh, go get help, and then, No, <laughs> yeah. she just right. Yeah, no, yeah. keep going for a woodcock. Rayhan's
0: <laughs> stuck down the well. Go get <laughs> help, Annie.
1: <laughs> oh man, no. Yeah,
0: same deal, man. But th- yeah, that's that's the way. That's my mentality. But I've got a two and a half year old son at home. I've got a wife at home, and just that kind of stuff, obviously. Makes you think about things a little bit differently. Like, if dad doesn't show up at home tonight, that's going to be a little bit different than whether I was just going back home to myself. You know, that's
1: so there's that's different, a couple different things too. Like, that you should just know within this is that one, like, people, there are a couple different things, right? So, we talk about if there's an emergency with us, but what happens yeah. if there's an emergency at home? For sure. And you, you know, you're out of service.
0: You're out in the woods, no cell coverage. Exactly. And then
1: the other thing is you can set up tracking. This is something else that I find, you know, really useful is that you can set up tracking. So if you're out hunting, like your, you know, wife and son can watch you on a map, like walking where you're going. And like, there's two things that are good from that one. It's like, you can have your family with you, even if they're sitting at home a thousand miles away. But then also from a safety standpoint, if, If you're supposed to be moving and you're not moving, you know, they can say – they can reach out and be like, hey, everything all right? And I always think about this when I think about inReach. Like back in the day when I would go hunting, it would be like I would leave a note on the kitchen table being like, hey, you know, I'm I'm going here. I should be back home by – You know, Sunday at 7 p.m., if you don't hear from me by 9, call my brother and the police, you know? And it's (laughs) like, it's the truth, though. And That's how it worked. That's how it worked. And that's what it kind of comes back to is, like, we have the technology now that to keep us safer, more efficient. And, you know, at the end of a long day, you can also just – it's nice to be able to reach out, you know, if you're at camp or something like that and just check in. So I I can't speak highly enough about just that in-reach part of it. Like, you know, the really cool thing about all of Garmin's products – and especially like when you look at you know a unit like this that's got so much going on, as people key in on different things, right? Like I key on in on the reach because I love it and I think that people should as well. But it's like some people may say like, oh yeah, you guys, uh, there's new ProView compasses, which is easier to look at. You know, like I said, yeah. the Delta on the 550 plus that was really well liked. So now that's incorporated into the 200i in the sense where it's like you now really can easily quickly see where your dogs are at just from the ProView. Um, you know,
0: How does that differ from the Alpha 100? So
1: there's it's, compass as on... As much
0: as you can describe yeah, it. So
1: space, yeah, so it's the ProView. It's set up where it's almost like four little boxes where it just gives little deltas um, in yardage and whether or not the dog's on point. So it's just a okay. quicker, more concise than the traditional compass or the map. Um, so it's almost like having, if you're running multiple dogs, it's almost like having multiple 550 plus screens right on your uh, 200i. You know, from, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. The 100 you were allowed – I mean, not allowed, but you had the, the capability of putting in 20 different dogs at one time. And, yep. I mean, God help you if you run 20 bird dogs. But <laughs> the, the point is, like, the houndsmen and stuff like that and beaglers and stuff like that, they really enjoy You know, that's what they yeah. do. But you also have the ability now to group dogs and, like, make them active and inactive. So yep. instead of adding collars in and removing collars and you can just say – okay, active, inactive, and you can store up to like 200 different collars and stuff like that. It's cool. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it is really cool. And they, you know, I'm not the engineer here. I'm the guy that talks about it. But the engineers, I always give them credit because they really thought of everything. And uh, I'm really proud of this unit just, just because like for how much I've loved the Alpha, this thing just, like I said, it's got a lot of horsepower.
0: The grouping and ungrouping of dogs I think is very cool. And that's become more and more relevant to me because more and more people that I hunt with are winding up with Garmin GPS collars and really, really cool feature in that takes two seconds. Boom. I grab my buddy's dog's collar paired. It's on my alpha. It's also on my Garmin watch, which maybe if we have enough time, we'll talk about that a little bit. We got to talk about that, Nick. That's so (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Like the in field, especially in the woods when you can't see each other, I mean, there's nothing I hate more than having to yell back and forth to my hunting partners. You know, here we are like, cause I feel like every, every verbalization that a human makes, it's putting every grouse on edge, you know, that can hear you. So the less verbal communication you can have, the better. And if I'm out, I was out last weekend hunting with one of my friends, Ted, he was just on the podcast. I've got his dog Fitz. He's on my alpha tracking him on my alpha, on my watch dog goes on point. Ted doesn't have, I mean, in the past he would have to, Nick Fitz is on point. He's over this way. Not anymore. I just basically meet Ted at the bird and flush it. I mean, it's as more and more of my hunting partners end up with this things like the ability to keep track of them and their dogs is it's a convenience thing, but man, it would be hard to go back and do it without that.
1: Yeah. And you compare the alphas too. So, I mean, like alpha alpha from that side, but I think that you, you know, we didn't really touch on it too hard, but the, that ecosystem, Um, that is something that, you know, Garmin has been really, really great at in terms of creating products that, that work together to make your experience just better. Right. So when we look at it, like a lot of people prior to 200 would run in, excuse me, like an inReach Mini, a Pro 550 plus and an Instinct watch. Um, and you know, an ecosystem is that they're all talking to one another and from your watch you can... Trigger an in-reach if you need to. You can get messages. You know, it syncs with your phone, which, by the way, you can track your dogs now off your phone, FYI.
0: Right. This is on the Garmin Explore app. I need you to tell me more about that after you make –
1: If we got time, (laughs) right? No. It's simply you pair that with that one. You can't train with it, but you can track in real time, and it's just a pairing of that into it. It's really simple, kind of like doing it with the watch. Um, But the – so that goes into it where if you don't want to have your hand held out or you're using your phone more than anything, you can track off of that – the, but getting back to that instinct, you can track your dogs off of your watch as well. And that's something that people just absolutely love. I love it too, you know, just because it will give a simple delta where it's at, where your dog is, the yardage, and you can track multiple dogs off of it. So really at a glance, you can just figure out exactly where you're at. So it all works together. And again, just the whole point of it is to be able to Make your experience in the outdoors better, safer, and just more enjoyable.
0: When the watch came out, I recall looking at that and thinking, that looks cool. I'd like to have that. And I actually got into this on a previous podcast, how just to kind of give folks some context, like I am of the personality type that I'm a usually an early adopter of technology. So I like technology and I understand just like you're saying, Rayhan, where, you know, some things take away from the experience, others add to it. And as much as that sounds black and white, everybody's gonna have their own line of where where technology can coexist in their adventures. For me, I'm I'm a techie guy. I like the stuff and I usually adopt stuff early. So when the watch came out, I looked at it and thought, man, I would like to have that But it's kind of a convenience thing. You know, I don't need it. I can just look down at my Alpha and grab it. Well, sooner or later, I acquired a Garmin. First, I got a Garmin Vivio Mm, Active. watch that they actually, the integrated dog tracking app wasn't on there, but you could get a third-party one. So I got it. Realized I loved the Garmin watch for a lot of things outside of hunting and dog tracking. I really like the activity tracking and fitness tracking aspects of my Garmin watch. Eventually upgraded to a Phoenix, And now I had a buddy, he was out with his first bird dog. I talked him into getting an Alpha 200. He got it like the day it came out and he was out there using it. And just seeing him use the handheld and he was kind of like looking to me to, for me to look down at my watch and tell him where his dog is because it was so convenient for me to look at my watch and it just, it it like kind of reiterated like just how nice that is to be able to just glance down at the wrist and see where my dog is. I mean that thing works really really well.
1: Yeah, and those watches too. Like you talk about the Phoenix, that's just incredible like on-screen mapping. You know everything like that. Um, I kind of mentioned the Instinct as well. That's another one. Um, both of those just incorporated solar charging technology. So, I mean, I think I charge this instinct once every 40 days or something.
0: Yeah. The batteries on, yeah, are crazy.
1: It's wild. But then there's also so many just other features that you can get with it and information. And that's the thing with the information, even, you know, with the alpha and with, if you're sinking your watch with, you know, Garmin Connect or anything like that, where you're getting all those stats from your health, your, you know, everything you could possibly imagine within it. It's like, there's also the choice that you have it's like how much information do you want? Like you don't yep. you don't have to use it if you don't want to, but the thing is it's it's there. And so if you ever do need it or want it, you have the ability to just to check it out quickly on the fly. Yeah. So,
0: one more thing on the watch for the moment. I I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but what I have started doing with my Garmin watch and using the Garmin Connect app and the activity tracking is it is essentially the skeleton of my hunting journal and it's really easy to do. I have a custom activity on my Garmin watch that I it's titled upland hunt. So I get out of the truck, I do the same things everybody else does, strap the collars on my dog, load the gun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I I press two buttons on my watch. I start tracking an activity. So I hit the button on my watch, start it, I start walking, I go hunt. I'm out hunting, looking for birds. Hopefully my dogs are pointing them. I'm flushing them, maybe hitting a couple. Every time I flush a grouse, I do one long button press on my watch that I've programmed to be the lap timer. My buddy and I have creatively figured out how to use the lap timer because what the lap timer does is when you're reviewing it, it drops a pin where you hit that lap and it's numbered too. So I I hit the lap timer every time I flush a grouse. And what that allows me to do is after I finish my hunt, I get back to my truck, I stop it, I get in my truck. I'm sitting there taking a break, catching my breath. I sync my watch to my phone. You can open up the phone, and there's my activity encapsulated. It's got the date, time, duration of the hunt, mileage I walked, weather, wind. (laughs) And I can look at the track that I walked through the cover over the satellite imagery and see every time I dropped a pin and flushed a grouse. So I can see I flushed 10 grouse, and I flushed them here, here, and here, and here, and forever that hunt, that upland hunt, is saved in my Garmin Connect app in the cloud. I can go back and review it any time. It's like I can go back and review hunts. I can relive these hunts because I can see where I walked through the cover and where I flushed the birds. It's just to me, I find that so incredibly valuable, and I just I love using that. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody else that that does that with their Garmin watch, but
1: yeah, people also do that on a fishing side of things too. And okay. I mean, so. Yeah. What you've kind of talked about is it, like I wish I could take credit for like that type of stuff. I'm, I'm, no, again, I'm those that credit goes back to the engineers that just figure this yeah. out and what people do and love. And that's kind of like not to keep going back to that, but it's like talk about something that's enhancing your outdoor experience, you know? Yes. And for me, it does. Yep. That's always like you know. I do it differently. So it's like, I'll mark it on the actual, on the alpha. And it's like, yeah, it's funny. It's like, you go back and you can see, like you said, relive hunts and like seeing kind of where it was and the, and everything about it brings back those members. And I think in a weird way, that's, that's what we're all trying to do. You know, if, if there's a way that I could relive those moments more, I would, but you can yeah. do that with like how you described or how I do it. Um, yeah. And it's that kind of continual ongoing living journal of or hunting experience. And when we're in it in the moment, it's one thing, right? And the day after you think about it, like, oh, you know, that, that was great. I'll go back and check that out. But cheers years down the road, you know, that's kind of, I'm looking forward to all that. Like, you know, oh yeah, my glory days back in, I remember that grouse or I remember hunting yep. with Nick and here and yep. that type of stuff. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's all of it. I, like I said, it's, it always just amazes me. Um, the stuff that, you know, the team here thinks of and comes up with and, you know, I'm proud to work here. I'm proud of the, the, you know, all of the units. This 200I. I mean, I'm looking at one right now, and yeah, it's awesome. I, 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 like I can just go on, you know, go on and on yeah. about it. So,
0: yeah, and I think you you bring up a good point talking about when you're out in the woods or the field and you're actually living that moment. I mean, there's nothing better than that. That is the pinnacle, and. With, when it comes to technology, there's always this delicate balance. Like we can sit here and nerd out and talk about tech. Is it detracting from your experience in that moment? And I think a lot of people would say, you know, there's a line where if I'm having to mess with something to the point where I'm forgetting to just lose myself in the moment, that's the problem. But like you said, the the team at Garmin and the people that are working on this stuff, the easier it gets to use and, incorporate into these adventures the more seamless it becomes and it's it takes away less the day of you're actually living that experience lets you enjoy it and then it's giving you the stuff that you can go back and reflect on and again for me personally i find that value
1: well and you know garmin's garmin has a mission you know, every company has a mission statement and garmin's mission statement you know is at the end of it it says making products that are become essential to our customers lives and i always thought yeah. about that and it's exactly how you described it right where it's like you have the ability to go and do what you love and be out in the woods with your dog and you can rely on your garmin alpha to take care of what you need to take care of and then in the moment that you need to find your dog or figure out what's going on and where you're at you can always just snap back to it so yeah yeah so
0: that's awesome man I don't want to leave this. We don't need to get into the nitty-gritty stuff about like pricing and stuff, but I just want to be clear about the in-reach thing. Yep. You've got you've got the capability on your Alpha 200i. You've got in-reach. but tell me the basics of how that works and with a subscription and how many messages I can send. Like what do we need to know about
1: that? Yeah, so I'm also going to say really quickly before I forget. The Alpha 200i, okay. right? That runs on the TT15, TT15 mini. Same exact collars. Same collars as the 550 plus and the 100. So you can actually just buy the handheld and use your old collars. Which, by the way, reminds me, everybody, you know, always don't forget to update your units. Um, yes. But yeah. uh, the long and short is with inReach, it's, uh, it's think about it like a cell phone plan, right? Where you can yep. go as high or low as you want in the sense where it starts at about 12 bucks a month um, and then it goes up to, I want to say, right around $70 a month. Now, that's, you know, depending on capabilities of what you want, the long and short is you'll always, with one of those plans, once it's activated, you'll always have the ability to, to trigger SOS. You'll always have the ability to text. If you choose the kind of the lowest plan, you get X amount of text, and then you get charged, just like a cell phone plan. But what's okay. really, really nice about it, inReach, with all of Garmin inReach products, is it's a month-to-month thing. So if you're like, well, I'm only going to use it two months out of the year, you're only, you only pay for two months out of the year.
0: 24 bucks, call it good. Right. Yeah.
1: But I'm going to be honest with you. The more you start using it, you're going to just be like, no, that $12 a month is definitely worth it. That's what it costs to get lunch at the yeah. gas station now. So that's, you know, make or break could be a lifesaver. The other thing All I right. want to talk about, real quick, sorry just to keep on rambling here.
0: No, keep on going, man. <laughs> this is why we brought you on. Well,
1: I look at that 200i also, right? So let's call bird hunting season, really, if you want to get down to it, could be theoretically six months out of the year, maybe longer, depending, you know. But, and obviously training dogs outside of it. But my point is, is that even if you're not running dogs with this unit, it's still just one of the best handheld GPSs that incorporates in-reach technology into it. You know what I mean? So it's like if you're going on a backpacking trip or you're going – you know, wherever canoeing or whatever you need to do. It's like, just take that thing along and you've got an incredible handheld GPS with inReach into it. Right.
0: Yeah. That's how, that's how I always looked at. I know when I bought my first alpha 100, again, it was my first dog. And I thought, let's get the GPS and the collar and in the whole deal and never really looked back. But I also, I had an old GPS that, that kind of needed upgrading and it just worked into that value proposition for me. Well, Hey, this is a, awesome gps too that can do everything else i need i mean it's its capabilities go far beyond me taking the dogs for a walk in the woods with my gun
1: yeah well but you know like i said essential central part of your life right
0: that's that's for dang sure yeah yep and i i very much appreciate that I think we've we've talked quite a bit about the Alpha 200. I know that there's a great video done by Steve Snell, Gundog Supply. Yeah. He's he's awesome at reviewing this stuff. Right when the Alpha 200 came out, I went and watched that. And prior to that, I read some of the product sheets and I had some info on the Alpha 200. That video really solidified for me a lot of the value in the new Alpha 200i. It was succinct in it, in that it didn't cover every feature, but it really talked about the differences of it. So I'd encourage people to check that out. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw a link to it in the show notes. But Steve really talks about, I mean, the user, the user interface and the improvements, which some of them you've touched on, Rehan, the ability to really customize anybody that spent time with an alpha 100 knows there's all kinds of stuff in there and probably more than you use. That's okay. It's nice to have it, but the ability to customize and put the stuff that you want to use right up front on top, there's a couple more buttons with those quick keys that, that make it easier to use and more seamless to get at the stuff you need. That's, that's, I think we're, we're, a lot of the improvement is with the 200 beyond just the, the technical advancements and the redesign of the handheld and everything.
1: Yeah. And when you really one to, yes, yeah, uh, Steve's got a great video. I mean, he's got a couple yep. different videos out on it. And the other thing too, is um, there's a lot of different people that have got reviews on it or kind of um, are talking about it. And I think it's also interesting to, you know, I mean, if you you're looking to kill some time, you know, it's interesting to hear what like, Houndsmen have to say about it sure. versus, you know, yep. pointing dogs versus, you know, so um, yeah, different yeah different perspectives, but you're absolutely right in terms of being able to customize the information. Like I said, it really, the, the design of it was set up so that it's really easy to use, but it becomes, you know, you set it up how you find it most valuable and you customize that information so that you can get to it quickly, efficiently and effectively. Um, and so that, like you said, there's so much information in there. I mean, everything from timers to, you know the yeah. overboard to sunset, you know, everything you could possibly need. And it's really people, again, this goes back to, it's like people find value, people hunt differently and people, yes. their styles are different. And so it shouldn't be one size fits all. This is how you have to do it. You should be able to customize it in how you, how it makes sense for you and your hunting style and what you find most important? And you know, the things that you want help with the things you don't want help with. And so that's, that's something that I'm proud of. I know everybody else is proud of here as well in, in the sense of being able to customize that um, and customize the information so that it's very easily digestible and that it's also a very just user-friendly experience.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the Garmin Explore app because this is something I've been hearing about. And there's one, there's one key feature that you've already mentioned, and that is the ability to track you could see your dog's track on the phone. The way I'm thinking about this is not so much for the, the handler with the alpha 200. Does this come into play? If I'm taking somebody else out and I've got a friend, can they all of a sudden get the Garmin Explorer app and track my dogs on their phone? Or would that not work if they don't have the handheld? Yeah.
1: So you have to, you have to be within a certain range for the handheld, right? And so it kind of tethers in um, to different things. So uh, the Explore app is used in a, in a couple of, we have a couple of different ones. It's a free app you can download. It's for off-grid navigation. You've got, you can, you know, easily trip plan through waypoints, everything like that.
0: Um, you download satellite imagery. Yeah, you can
1: download satellite okay. imagery. It's really robust and it directly off of your phone. Um, okay. So it's just an enhanced experience mapping uh, everything like that right on your phone itself. You can also sync into it with different products. Like I said, with the 200i, you have the ability to, track your dogs off of it and stuff like that. So if you so choose, you're like, Hey, I'm going to throw my handheld in the pack. I'm going to track directly off that. You can go from it.
0: Another continual advancement in technology and the Garmin ecosystem. I guess we talked about the watches. We talked about the alpha Garmin's got a full line of, I mean, you got the Delta Upland training collars. You got all kinds of stuff. I do need, ah, I almost forgot talking about collars. I need to ask you this. And you've probably (laughs) been asked this before. When it comes to grouse hunting, there's a thing about beepers, and I know that the the Garmin Alpha traditionally has not had a beeper, and I, I think you I'm, I'm going to cut you off in the
1: past. It, All you right, go ahead. It's not have an Upland beeper on it. Well, I know that. Okay. <laughs> I know that. Yes,
0: yes. But what I want to get at is kind of the the thought process, and you know whether it's a whether wherever this decision is made. I mean, I get it. I'm just like I'm only throwing this out there because I'm a grouse hunter, and I still appreciate. A beeper and garmin makes a beeper they have a beeper and me personally i know it's like down the priority list for houndsmen and people that hunt out west and everything else but if garmin's gps caller had the ability to integrate a beeper or add one in i would get value out of that so that's why i bring it up but i know that you know, something's something's hit the chopping block. I mean, do you have any thoughts on it, or like, can you give us any insight there?
1: Nick, I wish I had a, I wish I had just something <laughs> that I could just wave. And here we go. Here's an upland beeper. A couple different thoughts. So it's like there are beepers that are compatible with other collars, but when you think about it, that the the GPS collars a lot of times work on completely separate systems, and so yeah. the existing ones don't integrate into it. That's just a, a limitation of the functionality of it. Um, I'm not trying to sidestep this question yeah, whatsoever yeah. what i would also say with it is um like nick is a grouse hunter like you know you know bells and beepers like i know that's you, those are the thing you know yeah but i i do think that there's a certain amount and again i'm not trying to sidestep like i guess what i'd say is first and foremost it doesn't the that technology or that unit that we've got doesn't integrate into it the other side of it i would say is i personally i've never been I've never been a huge fan. I used to run a Bell for a while, but I never really – I've never been a fan of them. And I know this sounds like you know blasphemy in in some world, so please take this (laughs) at face value. But I really – To each their own. No, well, to each their own. But what I say (laughs) with it is it's like the more you think about GPS and the really more you use that as your primary tool – you do have that ability where it's an easier it, – it serves the same function for the most part if you want to just snap to really quick, especially with the 2.5-second update rate. The other thing, too, is what I'd say for me, what I always enjoyed is I use the tone collar, uh, the tone on the collar, which so long as it isn't super windy, um, I can still – I mean even with I mean, the amount of tinnitus I've got, I can still hear that thing um, far enough away where it's like I use that as a substitute bell beeper. Now, granted, that's not going to be, you know, your 400 yard bell by any stretch of the imagination, but when working at closer distances, I do find that beneficial. And then once it's out of that range, I go directly to GPS with that type of stuff. So,
0: yep. Well, I'm glad you brought up the tone and I will just, we're not going to, we're not going to hammer this out and debate and debate because I get it, but I will just add a little context to the way that I hunt and like where I'm coming from with this and you're hitting on a lot of the points, like because I have this GPS, which I trust to the fullest and love having on my dog. I have gone to using, I use a quieter bell. I use a soft bell because I don't need to hear my dog at 150, 200 yards. You know, I just, I love the bell because that nice soft tone. It gives me real time feedback. Tells me about the dog's cadence. Tells me like you, you learn to read your dog based on the bell. And I just, again, I appreciate that find value in it. The tone feature, like because I have the GPS, I don't, God forbid, I don't need to listen to the beeper all day long, which a lot of people hate that. And that's why they love GPS callers because you don't have to listen to the beep, beep, beep mm-hmm. all over the place, which I, which I understand. But there are some moments and I, I feel like it's pretty specific to the grouse woods, not always, but it is when my dog is on point, And this is the way I always describe it. My dog is on point. My GPS points me in the right direction. Let's say I've got 90 yards to go. I cover the first 60 yards. Now I'm within 30 yards of my dog. I can't see my dog, but I'm within 30 yards of the dog and possibly even closer to the bird based on where he is. So in my mind, it's game time. This bird could flush at any moment. And what I really want to know is where my dog is and which way is he facing, because then I'm going to begin to start calculating the rest of my approach, how I'm going to work in on this point and flush this bird. So the ability to reach down and tap a locate button. Yeah. Hit hit that tone like you said that you use, that would be really valuable. I have found that I can hear that tone, but it's it's a little quiet. And I always say like if we could just turn the volume up on that thing so we could hear it from a little bit further away, I would probably have probably have no concerns. But again, we're talking super niche, nuanced approach to hunting and I'm just throwing
1: it out there because Nick, my I feel like I'm gonna and... put out a suggestion box. <laughs> I want to put out a suggestion box and you can put in Get the upland beeper. Um, no, I, I, I do
0: know that I'm not the only no, one I know. I, that brings us. up. here's so. the other thing
1: I will say. It's like <laughs> there is like I do – there is something really cool about uh, a dog just rolling through the grouse woods hearing that bell. I do. You know yes. I mean? Yeah. And I guess what I would say is, you know, like you said, to each their own, like don't get rid of the bell. Like, you know, yeah. keep it, you know. and
0: Yeah, I like them both. I, I mean, my dog's not going anywhere – without a GPS collar, but I choose to run a bell because for me, I still like it and find it valuable.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, then that's it. You like it, you find it valuable. Yeah. And it's like, yep. yeah, there is something, like I said, it's, there is something really cool about hearing, hearing a good grouse dog just roll through the woods like that. And so,
0: well, thank you for listening to me on that.
1: Ray. I Well, you know what, <laughs> Nick, I'm going to pass that suggestion along. How about that?
0: I appreciate it. If you ever find yourself in the in the meeting room with with the big boys, yeah, you tell them, you tell them I sent that. Uh, yes,
1: uh, President CEO. Yes, Nick Larson has. It.
0: <laughs> no, that he is, hosts it. a podcast.
1: <laughs> no, that is legitimately. I you know, uh, as you mentioned, I have heard that, and I, I wish I yeah. you know we'll look looking into it. But like I said, that's kind of how I, I use kind of the tone and everything within that. But like I said, teach their own. So keep rolling that bell. Yeah. So wait a minute, just I mean before, because I know you, we've got a you have another conversation. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I got to get back to this, Nick, and I'm. I'm this, yeah. I want a whole bunch of witnesses for this. You mentioned you have not shot a, a wild pheasant or a wild quail, that's and I am crazy. formally extending the uh, opportunity. Come on down whenever you want. We'll go. Which you've done I, before. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted, a, I wanted to. I wanted witnesses now. So yeah, that's that. But uh, yeah, you know, season starts on. Season starts here November first, so
0: November first. But like December is, is a good time to come down there, right? Yeah, but here's the deal. I would okay. say
1: it's like first snow on for quail hunting is when quail hunting really okay. starts. But it snowed this week, yeah. so there you go.
0: exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. I've been. Uh, I was lamenting the snows here last week, but I have. Uh, I've got some areas that are still snow free, which is kind of miraculous, all things considered. But the weather is going to turn for us, and I think we're going to melt a good amount of this snow i don't know if it's all going to be gone but some areas are going to open back up for grouse hunting. hey have
1: the woodcock pushed through yet
0: they're still here and yes and they're now it wouldn't surprise me if you had some down your way i know i, don't...
1: I know we've got some but i don't okay. think it's full four scale yet
0: the thing about this snow that hit everybody assumed well not everybody but some people assume you get snow of course the woodcock are going to leave not necessarily the case i think I'm not a biologist, like you said before, but the ground isn't frozen. The ground was not frozen when the snow hit, so I think the woodcock are more, they can still feed, they can still do their thing, they're gonna. They're preparing. I don't think they'll tolerate too much of this stuff, but I was out as late as a couple of days ago, Sunday, and was still flushing woodcock. So. so
1: I was talking with somebody here about, must have been about a week ago, not even, yeah. and they were looking out their back window and they're like, oh, Oh, what a unique looking bird. What, I I wonder what that is. It's almost like, it looks like a quail. I was like, does it have a really long beak? And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's a woodcock. They're already here. Like I got to get out. So
0: yeah. Is your woodcock season open? uh,
1: Yeah. It opens on Missouri earlier and it's always kind of like, I, I, woodcock. I mean, like I love woodcock. I just think they're so cool. Um, It's typically one of those things where it's like, you'll get into it kind of in the very beginning of quail season it's a bonus bird but for the past couple of years it's been timed right so it's like we've been getting a mixed bag um but i'm gonna be it's honest a like cool mixed bag I, yeah it is but it's like i can be hunting anything but if i start seeing woodcock you're like all, all bets off like we're hunting, we're hunting woodcock
0: <laughs> you're zeroing in yeah no it,
1: absolutely yeah. it's just there's something about woodcock that they don't get an i mean like they don't get enough credit that's what i'm gonna say yeah. they don't they don't get enough credit
0: yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. And I think you know, even here, like we have, we have plenty of resident woodcock. I don't know that I could say that there are no resident woodcock where you are, but there's certainly probably not many, right? If if any at all. So like I could see how your perspective it's kind of like this, you don't get it. Like you don't know when they're going to be there, you don't know when they're going to be gone. So that that kind of like focus when they show up i can i can understand oh that. no
1: nick yeah this is even when i was like when i called myself a grouse hunter in minnesota <laughs> like i would stop hunting grouse you know there's just yeah 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 <laughs> i think uh from the sense it's like you know i mean like one they're great for dog two they get up at that 45 like you know and they oh, yeah. like stare back down with you with that one big eye and it's like they're just they're a fun bird yeah they're a blast yeah so
0: sweet man All right. Hey, did you get in any any pheasants? You were you were just leaving for the Minnesota Pheasant Opener. How'd that go for you?
1: Uh, so I made like a really great shot on a on a grouse the last like the last walk of the morning. And uh, yeah. once I saw like once I connected on that grouse, I was like, "This has been too good of a trip so far. I'm not going to shoot any pheasant." So
0: you had you had a good
1: weekend. Uh, well, I <laughs> so the long and short is uh, yeah, it seems like pheasants are doing well over on the western side. Um, okay, I really didn't hunt that hard um because i had pretty yeah. much been hunting for a week straight um yeah small
0: sample size but
1: yeah and the other thing too and i think i mentioned it to you earlier it's like i missed two pheasants like shooting a gun like i brought a gun up i like had enough swagger i was like oh yeah this new gun it's a model 12 like you know i just finished this stock up it's an english stock i'm just going to be pick it up I don't even have to practice and it just it didn't work out for me, so I missed a couple birds. Um, but yeah. all in all, um, no birds are doing well over there, and it was good to see that because just anytime you know, anytime you just get that feeling like, hey, you know, birds are doing all right like this year. Like that's just it's yeah. just a good feeling. It doesn't even matter. Like I've been I don't know. It's like I've been doing that that opener with my same buddies over there for like nine years now. They come down to Missouri yeah. for quail camp, you know. So it's more so like. I, I don't hate to say it. I love to say it, but it's kind of more about the experience at this point than anything. Hey, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's
0: good stuff. What was the what's the gauge on that model twelve? I missed that. On yeah, it, was the 16,
1: it was a sixteen. It was a sixteen. Yeah, it's a okay. sixteen gauge. Right. It's a twenty five and a half inch barrel with a. It's yeah. just a little bit past mod, and the thing is, is it, I I don't. Well,
0: it's kind of tight
1: for upland. Well, yeah, I'll shoot. Not too tight. No, but, but I'll shoot. Uh, I see mod at everything when I shoot. You know, when I'm yeah. shooting doubles or over unders and. The thing with that is it's just like I I just – I just, I just, I don't know what it is. I've been thinking about it. I just haven't been able to connect, but I switched out the, the butt pad on it. Uh, and I got a good feeling about it. So,
0: well, I think we pretty much covered what we needed to Rayhan. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to myself and the project Upland podcast listeners. It was, as we, as we mentioned earlier, it was really cool to connect with you even for an afternoon and take a walk through the woods with you and Steve and see you guys dogs. And it was a blast, man. I look forward to look forward to keeping in touch with you and, keep on using garmin products thanks for coming on the show man
1: yeah nick i really appreciate it um everybody if you want to check out the uh, 200i just go to uh garmin.com um yeah it's in there uh everybody nick thanks so much it was yeah it was a blast connecting up in uh, minnesota there and uh everybody just uh have a, a safe and and good uh hunting season so we'll talk soon all right
0: good deal buddy we'll talk to you later tonight
1: all right see ya all
0: right see you man Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. Quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA Shotguns, Gumleaf USA, Doctor Callers, ESP Hearing Protection, Trinity Kennels, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to visit ProjectUpland.com to read, watch, listen to more great Upland hunting content. And please, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, leave the podcast a rating. And a review that really helps us out, and it helps more people find the show. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up Podcast.